Welcome to the City Life Podcast. I'm Tim Woody, the pastor of City Life Church in downtown Fort Worth. There is purpose for your life. There's a destiny you have yet to walk into, and there is hope regardless of what you're facing today. I encourage you to open your heart now to what God will be speaking to you over these next few minutes. Get your Bibles open to two locations. Today we're going to look in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and then we're going to, near the end of the message, look at John chapter 8, verse 3. I'm going to leave that up there for a second while you're looking these up. Now, I want, I want to tell you something. I have made a choice to, to, to make a little shift for myself in, uh, in the, the version of the Bible that I use for, uh, really since I began pastoring as a senior pastor. I have used the New International Version uh, quite consistently, and, and the, they've continued to revise it, and, and I have been finding that there are just, it, I'm having to do a whole lot more word studies for you and say, here's what it says, but here's really what it means, and, uh, and I, the NIV is still a great Bible. I think it really is, but when it comes to from preaching from it, I'm just, I'm not going to be using it anymore to preach from. I'll be reading it. I'll be using it. I'm not saying throw your NIV away, but but, uh, but I've run into so many issues recently where I've, uh, I, I'm, in fact, in fact, when I was doing a Tim at 12 teaching this last fall from the book of Hebrews, I literally couldn't even use the NIV because of their translations. They were just, there, there were a lot of uh, inaccuracies. And, uh, and I've run into some other things such as you know, that, that are, that are gender issues in the NIV. And I'm just like, okay, it's been a nice Bible. We've used it for years, but I'm going to go to probably, it is the best, uh, in my opinion, and most scholars would say this as well, it is the best translation for English speaking people of direct translation or you know, as, as direct as possible from the original language. And that is the New American Standard Bible. So I'm, I'm going to begin using that. So you'll see those references that we're using up here on Sundays. You, you don't have to, again, you don't have to run out and grab an NASB, but I I'll be using that as my primary teaching Bible. Is that good? All right, that's, that's, all, that's all I'd say on that. And the reason I don't make a, I do not like to make a big deal about versions of the Bible. The reason is because sometimes people say, oh no, I can't read the Bible because it's not going to be exactly right. Now, I think we're okay. But when it comes to preaching and teaching, and this is actually the Bible that I study from most anyway, so I might as well start using it. So uh, go ahead and locate those two places in your Bible, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and the book of John. Uh, that's the gospel of John in the New Testament, chapter 8, verse 3. You know, God is speaking continuously. In fact, I have this, this series that I've, I've entitled, Shh, Listen to His Whisper. And that's about hearing the voice of God, because God most often speaks in a whisper. Yet... The most important and the most foundational way that God speaks is through his word, the Bible. So today, my message is entitled, The Written Whisper. Now, my message today is going to be a little different because I would say it's more teaching-oriented than, than preaching-oriented, and I wrestled with that because I'd rather kind of preach than teach, but, but there are times I need to teach. In fact, as, as I was reading the Bible for myself this week, I was like, you know, Jesus sat down and taught. Jesus sat down and taught. Occasionally, he preached. A lot of times, he taught. So I'm going to teach today, except I'm not going to sit down, all right? I'm going to... Uh, but, but, but I read the Bible daily, I, I do. I, I've done this for many years. Uh, I started when I was about 19 years old, and I've been fairly consistent with it all of my life. Now, and I know, I know some of you are going, yeah, that's nice, Pastor Tim, but you read the Bible because it's your job. You get paid to read the Bible. Well, actually, no, the truth is. I study the Bible for sermons. I study the Bible for my connect group, or I study the Bible for uh, my Tim at 12 Bible study, but I read the Bible for me. And that's really important because I want to hear the whisper of God to my soul and to my spirit. And, and truth be told, when I miss a day of reading the Bible, I feel just a little bit off. I feel it, it's like I've missed a meal or it's like I've something isn't, I feel a little bit off balance, a little bit off center. And, and I, I've, I've begun to feel that like if I ever miss a day and, and it's because this has become a steady diet for me. Now, 
I know this, God can choose to communicate with me and with you in any way that he chooses. There's a lot of different ways that are through the Bible, and uh, he's even spoken through animals before. Now, that's kind of weird, and I do not have a special sermon for that because, I don't know, if God were to speak to my chihuahuas, that would be be really strange. But, But God primarily speaks to us through his word, and it's kind of like a heartfelt letter. It's where you hear the whisper of God. Uh, the, the written word, it reveals God's character. It teaches us truth. It demonstrates to us the love of God. So today, I'm focusing on how the scriptures are one of the ways that God speaks to us, and God is going to speak through the scriptures to you, and I believe he'll do that today, but also in your private life as well. Now, One of the things that I've been doing in getting ready for the canvassing teams that are coming up here next week on Friday and Saturday is I've been preparing maps. I've been preparing maps of the downtown area, maps of the cultural district, West 7th area, maps of the near south side area so that these people will know where to go. Now, I, like you, can get into a project and all of a sudden I go down a rabbit hole. I mean, y'all, y'all would never do that, right? Okay, I always do that. But, uh, but I, I went down a rabbit hole and I was looking at maps and, and I've always loved maps. I'm strange like that. I, I, I did. In fact, I remember when I was at elementary school, when I was in sixth grade, there was a project that we had to do and, and I decided that I was going to create a map of the whole city and it took weeks to do it and I actually finished it and that, and it wasn't Fort Worth, but, but, but I had every single street on there and everything. It was, it was amazing, but I love maps. But I, uh, I, I found this oldest map, and I've seen it before, but I just really kind of dove into this map. And this is the oldest known map of Fort Worth. It was created about 150 years ago in the year 1876. That's when the America was celebrating its centennial. So let's take a look at that map on the screens. And, and, uh, and this is the map of Fort Worth. This is the, the oldest map that exists of the city of Fort Worth. Now leave that up for a while there, but, but let me tell you a little bit about this because I also like history too. Um, it was only about 27 years earlier, there was nothing there. I mean, nothing at all. Uh, the Republic of Texas had just become a part of the United States of America. We were no longer a separate country. And there was this, there was this uh, American major, Major Ripley Arnold, who came uh, on assignment out here, and him and his team, they planted the Stars and Stripes on a bluff overlooking the Trinity River at the confluence of the Clear Fork and the West Fork Trinity, which if you know the city at all, it's just right up the road, just a few blocks. Uh, And there the government established a fort to protect the American frontier, and they called the fort Camp Worth, and it was named after uh, General William Jenkins Worth, who had just passed away, and who was kind of overseeing all of the the expansion of the United States into Texas. So, and and the location of where they planted the Stars and Stripes to to establish Camp Worth is about where you, you would see that big building right in the center, which was the first courthouse for the city of Fort Worth. And what happened is, uh, and that's actually where the, the courthouse of today still stands. So what, what's interesting about this is then, then as, the, as Camp Worth was established, or Fort Worth, <laughs> see it was a fort, that's why it's called Fort Worth, when it was established, uh, civilians started coming out here and, and, and building homes or around the area, and there was a grid that was laid out. And look at the beautiful grid that, that's there, and that was the original grid. Most of that original grid still exists today right here in downtown. And, uh, and, and it, but it was all based upon this one structure, that one structure, that tall structure, the big building that you see there, which is the, the courthouse. And, and this, which, which was previously the place of Camp Worth or Fort Worth. And everything began to sprawl from this point and even through the whole future of the city, it, it just, everything sprawled from that point and it's all based upon this grid right here. Now that's kind of like the Bible. See, the Bible is like a compass. It's like a map. It has a clear origination point and this grid is essentially established from the Bible for our lives. The Bible is truth. The Bible is hard facts. And you can study the Bible and learn a lot. But if you engage more with 
uh, downtown Fort Worth and you really want to engage deeply with downtown Fort Worth, you can look at a map and you can get some ideas from there. But really, you need to take a map with you and find a guide who knows downtown Fort Worth, and that guide will direct you through the streets on the map and you get to know it better. You cannot get to know downtown Fort Worth by looking at that map, certainly, or any other map. You get an idea, you'll see some hard facts, you'll see some information, but if you want to know the sights and the smells and the interactions and the, and the feelings and the vibes and, 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 the, and the interesting intricacies that are here in downtown Fort Worth, you've got to get on your feet, and it's best to have someone who, with you who knows about it, who can be your guide. Now, that is like the Bible. You see, the Bible is the inspired Word of God. The Bible is truth. You can take that, that map down right now. The, the, the Bible is truth, and, and uh, it is, the, the, the challenge for us, though, is that we live in a culture where tolerance has taken the place of truth. You see, culture says it's wrong to say that something is wrong. But I say that is wrong. And why do I say that? It's because I know the Bible. Now, honestly, I, I've said this forever here. You know, I, I want to be known more for what I'm for than what I'm against. And so, therefore, I don't like to use the truth as a weapon against other people. But see, God calls us to this higher standard, a standard that's higher than tolerance. God calls us to truth. And that truth also must always be coupled with faith and with grace. And, with, and, and so grace means this. Grace means I will love you no matter what. Faith means I, believe, I, I know that God is with me and I believe that God is going to work miracles and I believe I'm going to believe the, the, the best about you no matter what. Truth means I'm going to be honest with you no matter what. So all three of those are how I go about leading life. All three of those is how I go about pastoring a church and leading a family and, and just living in this culture of today. That is also the method of the Bible, and it's the method of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'll tell you, I love books. I'm probably reading about 12 books right at this present time. I have them in different places all over the place, and I read, read a little bit here, a little bit there. I'm crazy about them. But there's one book that falls into a category of its own, and it's actually a large book which contains 66 other books, and it's called The Bible. And I love The Bible. Now, I want us to look at Hebrews chapter number 4, verse 12. I asked you to turn there. I love this. Uh, Hebrews 4, 12 uh, makes it clear that it is different than other books. Look at it here. It says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and penetrating as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Wow. That is the power of of the Bible. That is a powerful statement. And, and really, this right here, mark this in your Bibles, because it is foundational to understanding how the Bible actually functions. Now, there's another scripture that, that's important as well, and it's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verse 16, and it says, all scripture is inspired by God, and it's beneficial for teaching, which is what I'm doing right now, for rebuke. That means like, hey, you know, don't do that. You, you did that thing wrong. You shouldn't do that. Or for correction, like, let me show you a different way. And for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be fully capable, equipped for every good work. Part of my job as a pastor, according to the Bible, is I am supposed to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And this scripture tells me that I have to use the Bible in order to do that. So it's foundational. And you, you really can't take these two passages uh, of the Bible. You can't just glance at them and say, okay, that doesn't mean anything. No. When you read those two passages that, that we just read, you know the Bible is serious business. There is no other book that is even remotely comparable to the Word of God. And I'd, I'd like to say there are a couple of things that, may, that makes the Bible absolutely unique. And one is that the Bible is living and active. We just saw that just a moment ago. Uh, we don't just read the Bible. The Bible reads us. See, the spirit that inspired the ancient writers of the Bible who authored the Bible, that is the same spirit that speaks to us when we read 
the Bible. It is the same spirit that, that, the, that the ancient writers heard is the same spirit that speaks to us in a whisper as we're reading the Bible. See, the Holy Spirit is on both sides of the equation uh, when, it, when the Bible was authored and written and as we are reading it and applying it. In fact, Paul describes the Bible this way. He says it is God-breathed. It's like the breath of God. That's beautiful, isn't it? So we, we need to read the scriptures and we need to hear the scriptures. And whenever we do that, it's like, it's like we're inhaling the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit exhaled you know, thousands of years ago. And we're hearing the whisper of God through the breath of God. It's, it's beautiful. And, and another reason why the Bible is absolutely unique and completely different is that the Bible is both timeless and timely. In other words, you will never get to the bottom of the Bible. No matter how many times you read the Bible, you will always find something fresh because I don't understand it. It never gets old. Now, there are some books that I've read. I think the book I've read the most, I've read it like five times. Not the Bible, but a different book. But there's nothing fresh in there. It's just like, okay, that kind of reminds me of some stuff I've read before. That's nice. I'm kind of done reading this. But, but the Bible is different. It just doesn't get old. Uh, this theologian, J.I. Packer, he says this. He, sa- he says, every Christian worth his salt should read the Bible cover to cover every year. And you know, I, I know a lot of people, a lot, fall, lot, lot of Christians, most Christians fall short of that. But if you want to hear the whisper of God, you must open your Bible. I recommend a reading plan. Uh, the goal is really and, and I tell you, the goal really shouldn't be just to get through the Bible, although that is a kind of a fun goal, but you really want the Bible to get through you. And God wants the Bible to get through us. Now, I have a recommendation uh, that's on the Bible app. In fact, we sent out a little notification to you yesterday. If you're a part of the, the Bible app for City Life Church, um, <clears throat> I have a recommendation, so I'm going to put it up there on the screen. And if you don't have that yet or you don't know it, just, just take a picture of what they're putting up on the screen right now. And this is, it's called, it's called Always Near, which is a five-day devotional plan for understanding the Bible. It, it helps you to learn how to apply the Bible to your life. And I'm, I'm using this plan. I would love for you to use it with me this week. So if you're a part of the City Life community on the Bible app, you got that notification already, just go to that and you should, should pull it right back up. But I encourage you to, to dive into this reading plan. Now, if you haven't figured this out yet, I do love the Bible. I really, really do. Uh, one of my most prized possessions on this earth is a Bible. And I have it right here. This is a unique Bible, though. This is the Bible that belonged to my father, Wayne Woody. And after my dad's passing, I had the joy of inheriting most of his Bibles. And I have about 15 of his, of his Bibles. And, and, uh, and I, I got to tell you the truth. My dad, he would keep Bibles and he would just keep using them, using them. And some of the Bibles were literally duct taped together, holding them together. There's no joke about that. Uh, I, I asked Ian about a year and a half ago if he wanted one of them. He, he said, yeah, I want this one. Of course, it had duct tape all over it, and he took it and rebound it. And he, the duct tape is gone now. But, but my dad, you know, he was, he was more utilitarian. He, he, he didn't care about the, the look or the aesthetic of it. He cared a lot about what was in it. And I, I appreciate that about my dad. I, I still have one of his duct tape Bibles in my office, and I just look at it and think, Dad, you're so funny, duct taping a Bible together. Yet on the other hand, I get it. I understand. My dad loved the Bible, and I do as well. See, uh, that, I guess you could say, because this Bible belongs to my dad, it's extra special, because this particular Bible is the one that my dad used during his final decade of life on this earth. Uh, his house burned about 11 years ago, and his favorite Bible, his reading Bible, the one he read for himself, was in the living room, and that was part of the house that was destroyed in the fire. So the day of the fire, I, t- I talked to my dad on the phone, and I said, Dad, you know, what can I do? How can I help? And my dad just kept saying, oh, I don't know, I don't know, but he says, I just feel terrible because my Bible, I lost my Bible. I mean, th- my, my parents lost a lot of possessions, things they had had all their life. But my dad kept saying, but my Bible, 
my Bible. I left it by my chair in the living room, and my Bible was destroyed. And he was crying on the phone. And I said, well, Dad, I, I want to get you a new Bible, ASAP. I live in the big city, and I can find one, and I can get one to you real quick. And, and so I, uh, I, I asked him for the criteria, and all the criteria, I, I ended up finding one, finding what he needed, and come to find out the Bible that he needed was about $200. And so now these things run like a $325 of this right here. So incredible. But thank God I got it then. <laughs> but but I, I got it, and I, I ordered it, and I overnighted it to Dad, and he got it within a couple of days. And it's a, it's a Smithsonian-bound black uh, leather cowhide, large print, words of Jesus in red, cross-referenced. It has a ribbon marker. It's the Holmes 400th anniversary edition of the King James. He had to have King James Bible. And I, I, and I also wanted him to have a Bible that was going to last that wouldn't get duct-taped up, you know, because I know my dad... So I have this Bible now. My mom gave it, my mom held on to it for a while, but she gave it to me the last time I went to visit a few weeks ago. And, and, I, and I love reading the verses that dad underlined. And I like reading the notes that dad wrote in the margins. Now this dad's well-used Bible is a testament to my dad's well-lived life. And yes, truth be told, the binding is falling apart. <laughs> but that's just simply evidence of its use. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to a person who isn't. Isn't that good? So what I'm getting at is this. I love the Bible. I believe it to be the inspired word of God, and we need to read it, and we need to hear it. Now, a quick side note, I do know and understand that there's a subtle form of idolatry when it does come to the Bible, and it's called bibliology, and it's, it's treating the Bible as if the Bible is an end of itself. Uh, the goal of the Bible is, some people say it's just Bible knowledge. I need the knowledge that's in there, but, uh, but 1 Corinthians chapter 18, verse 1 says that knowledge puffs up. So the, just worshiping the Bible is not what I'm all about either. It's just like a person who studies a map of downtown Fort Worth. You can get a lot of knowledge from it. You can get data from it. But if you don't put your feet on the ground with a guide, it's just head knowledge. And you can get really dogmatic about what you see on the map. But until you are here and you understand and you see what's actually going on, things might be a little bit different. So the goal really is to recognize and to respond to the voice, the whisper of God, and to grow in intimacy with him through the word. And so, so just like when you spend time with a new friend and get to know him, reading the scriptures helps you to get to know God, but there's no end to it because there's always something fresh in there. I don't understand it. It is beyond my understanding, but it's true. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 tells us this. It says, be diligent. And this is Paul telling a pastor, Pastor Timothy, uh, the, the pastor of the Ephesus church, be diligent and present yourself approved to God as a worker who does not be, uh, need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. And I, I, I like that. I appreciate how he says we need to handle it accurately. But he also says that we need to be, need to be diligent. We need to study. And, and the truth be told, if I do not accurately handle the word of God, I can harm people. I can even harm the body of Christ because the word of God is like a sword. <laughs> the question is, then how do we accurately handle the word of God? Well, one of them is to practice good hermeneutics. You probably don't know what that word means, but I'll, I still have to put it out there. I'm not trying to show off that I know a big word that you don't, but... There is no better word for it. It's just hermeneutics. And, and basically it's this. You need to understand the genre uh, that you're reading. You know, is it history, poetry, Jewish law? Is it prophecy? Is it the gospels? Is it the epistles? And then you let the scripture interpret the scripture. And I'll always be glad to help you with that. That's a process that I go through. It's, it's a learned behavior. But like I always say, and you've heard me say this before, you cannot make the Bible say something it never said. You can't make the Bible mean something it never meant. So that's good hermeneutics. And the second one is to receive the help of the Holy Spirit. Guys, we need this. You know, when you take the Holy Spirit out of the equation of the scriptures, all you're left with is something called the letter of the law. It's, and I'll tell you, the letter of the law is not life-giving. It's like the map of downtown Fort Worth with no guide. 
See, the word of God is the sword of the spirit. But if you remove the spirit, the Holy Spirit from the occasion, it be, from the equation, it becomes a sword that harms. See, that's actually what the Pharisees did throughout the New Testament. And, and we call that legalism. Basically, it leads to lifeless religion that's harsh and dogmatic. And a lot of you have brushed up against that, and you've seen that before. That's where you take the spirit away from what's actually here in the Bible. So the Bible is our map, but the Holy Spirit is our guide. And we have to have both if we're going to hear the whisper of God and know where God wants us to go. Now, one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to revive. He breathes, it's revive, he revives, he brings breath. The, the, in the King James Version, the terminology is to quicken. And if you who are King James lovers, you know that that word quicken, that means to revive. Uh, and that's the difference between information and transformation. It's a supernatural act of God and that, that actually makes the scriptures kind of like leap off the page and they come to life and they become applicable to our lives. They create change. They create transformation. They create resurrection. The scriptures revive and we revive as well. And I think there's a little bit of reviving that happens every single time we read the scriptures. That's why we need it. Psalm 119 verse 25 says this. It says, revive me according to your word. In fact, this word revive is found 11 times. It's a quicken in the, uh, in the uh, King James and the New King James. But this word revive is found 11 times in Psalm 119. And it refers to the power of the scriptures coupled with the Spirit of God. Now, here's a little hint. Here's a little clue on interpreting scriptures. When the Bible repeats something more than once... Okay, that's something to really pay attention to. So I say when the Bible repeats something more than once, we ought to listen to it at least twice, okay? So kind of get that into your heart. So it it says that repeatedly uh, that that we are revived and the scriptures revive themselves when the spirit breathes on them. So we read it, we get it into our hearts and when the spirit of God revives it, he does that when, how, and where he wants. But, But this is again how a scripture tends to leap off the page and get into our spirits. Here's how it works for me. I, uh, this morning, I, I opened up my Bible and I started off from where I left off in my reading plan. So I jumped right into Joshua chapter nine. Today in my reading plan, I was reading Joshua nine and Joshua 10. And, and I begin, what I do is I begin reading and reading and, and sometimes I'll come to a verse that causes me to pause. Uh, I don't like to, I, I will pause a lot more when I'm doing studying, which is a little different, but, but I'll, I'll, I'll pause from time to time. And if I find a, a verse confusing, I may do a little bit of research. If I find it convicting, then it leads me to repentance. God, forgive me. I, I can't tell you how many times I've been reading the word of God and then I get convicted. It's the Holy Spirit that's convicted me through the reading of the word. Like, God, God, uh, I confess this sin. Forgive me. Um, other times I'm reading along and I find it inspiring and it just brings me joy and peace and love. And then sometimes I find it causing a prompting that I need to take action on something or I need to pray into it. Today, as I was reading through my, my Bible reading, I was reminded of this. Not, I, this is what I got from God. And it wasn't part of my sermon. Or anything. It was just for me. It was God's sermon to me, which we need to get those. But it's, it's this. It's like not everything or everyone is as it appears. That's what God spoke to me. So therefore, you need to be prayerful and diligent, and you need to have discernment in dealing with people, especially strangers. So that was a good one for me. It's like, God, thank you. Thank you for that. I want to apply that to my life today and this week and, and as I continue to move on. So I let the Holy Spirit revive it in me so that God can work in me when, where, and how he wants. Now, I want to give you, an, I want to give you a picture of this. I think the best picture of this is actually through a movie. Uh, no, I'm not talking about the Jesus Revolution, but I am talking about something that's been out a little longer than that, and it's called Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Any of you guys ever watched the Chronicles of Narnia movies? All right. There's this fantastic scene in Voyage of the Dawn Treader, and, and I remember seeing this on the big screen. I thought, oh, this, this is amazing. But it, it's this picture of the ship on this high seas, and, and it's just beautiful, but it comes to life. The, the, the painting comes to life, and this boy named Eustace, I mean, he's, he's badgering his cousins, uh, you know, about their silly belief in, in this 
imaginary place called Narnia, and, but then all of a sudden water starts flowing out of the painting and it fills the whole room and then they're underwater and then they begin to enter Narnia uh, instead, of, uh, instead of through the wardrobe, they enter Narnia through the picture frame and, and basically the picture frame reframes who they are. Boys and girls become kings and queens and I just look at that, that is, a, that is just like what the scripture does. All right, let's take a look at that movie clip right now. Lucy, have you seen this ship before? Yes. It's very Narnian looking, isn't it? Yeah. Well, just another reminder that we're here and not there. There once were two orphans who wasted their time believing in Narnian nursery rhyme. What's so fascinating about that picture anyway? It's hideous. Edmund, it looks like the water's actually moving. What rubbish, see? That's what happens when you read all those fanciful novels and fairy tales of yours. Edmund, the painting! <laughs> oh, the smash the wrong thing! No, this is Okay, we're not going to watch the whole movie. Let's just summarize right there. I, I, oh, stop. You can get it on your own. One minute clip. You guys want to come watch movies at church? But I love it because the painting came to life and the children engaged with it and then they dove into that picture frame and it changed their lives. Now, the Bible is like that picture frame. The Bible redefines possibility. What was not possible becomes possible. New possibilities arise through the power of the Holy Spirit and his revelation. Philippians 4.13 says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's one scripture that should be memorized. It redefines possibility. Also, the Bible reframes reality. The Holy Spirit, it revives and it brings to life uh, never ima- things you've never imagined before all of a sudden become reality. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says this, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered into the human heart, all that God has prepared for those who love him. So the Bible redefines possibility and it reframes reality and the Bible reminds us of who we really are are. The enemy is going to tell you, you are a worthless loser. You're not worthy of love. You're not worthy of anything good. You are not worthy of anything, but the Bible reminds you that you have a special place in God's family. Listen to this, John 1, 12. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Now, I know for some people, they see the Bible as like a static painting on a wall. And we occasionally, you know, they, they may occasionally look at it, but they don't really get into it, you see? They give it a glance, but it's nothing more than just a pretty picture to look at. And sometimes some people look at it and they become a critic of the art and become a critic of the artist. But we won't do that, right? No, because they see it as static, as status quo. They just read it, but they don't do it. But the truth is the Bible, when we get into it, it changes the way we think, the way we live and the way we love. That's why I love the Bible. It becomes Active, it becomes alive when we actually begin to obey it and do what it says. And I'll tell you what, when we do that, that is a surefire way to get into the presence of God. It's to be in the word of God. John chapter 15, verse seven says this, if you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That is the written whisper. And I wish that hearing the voice of God was just as easy as reading, uh, but it's not. 
It does require prayer. It requires meditation. It requires uh, contemplation. But you can't only meditate on the word and pray the word and contemplate the word. You actually have to do the word, take action on the word until you obey it. Until you obey God's word, you are simply educated beyond your obedience. And that's not where God wants you to be. So I'm going to examine how this works. I'm going to show you how to do this. Four simple ways, four simple steps to take when getting into the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Bible. Four questions that you need to ask yourself for Bible study, and then we're going to practice this real quick. This is going to be fun. All right, first of all, you ask, what's happening? What's happening? In this, what's happening in this passage? What's happening in this story? Uh, who are the characters? Where are they? When is this happening? Uh, can you imagine it like, uh, like a movie? Can you, can you put it into like a, a picture of a movie and, and just put it there? So that's the first step you take. What's happening? The second thing you do for the scriptures is you ask yourself, what did it mean? What did it mean back then? What did it mean to the original audience? Um, who was that audience? What was, what was unique about them? Uh, how would they have understood this? How would they have, have uh, received whatever was there? And then there is the third question. We're going to go through these again. What does it reveal about God and people, God and humans? What does it reveal to us? Um, like, like, what does it reveal to us about the character of God? What does it reveal to us about the character of people? I mean, what, what can you learn about human nature, the good and bad of human nature? What, uh, what mo? What motivates people toward right and wrong? What is revealed about God? And then the fourth question you ask is this, what timeless principles can be applied to my life now, today? Timeless is the key uh, because some principles in the scriptures are specific to a certain time and a certain place. Those of you who are with me in my men's group on, on uh, last Monday night, no, we talked about that. And so, but the Holy Spirit, what he does is he revives those scriptures and helps us to apply these timeless principles to our lives. Now, I'm going to show you how it works, and then I'm going to ask you to do this. And so, the, if anything is going to be the preaching portion of my sermon, this is going to be it right here. So, I'm going to try to preach this while I teach this to you. So, I asked you to open up your Bibles to the book of John. Early today, I said, look in John chapter 8, verse 3. Now, we're going to have a little bit of fun with this. And, and as I, I really, I was going to end my message right here. I thought, no, we need to practice this. So I, I just, I thought, where do we go in the scriptures to practice this? And I'd, I'd be kid, totally kidding. Honestly. I just opened my Bible up to the New Testament. It's like, whatever I see, that's what we're going to do. And here's what I found, John chapter 8, verse 3. So we're going to read through this, and then we're going to do the four questions for Bible study. Now, I want you to kind of have those four questions in the back of your mind. I know for some of you, this is brand new stuff, but let's get into this, all right? Let's dive into the frame. Let's dive into the picture. The setting is Jerusalem. Jesus had just come off the Mount of Olives, so he's in the main central city of Jewish religion. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, those were the religious people, they brought a woman caught in the act of adultery. After and after placing her in the center of the courtyard, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? Now, they were saying this to test him so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground. And when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, he who is without sin among you, let him be the first to stow, throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped to the ground. He stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now, when they heard this, they began leaving one by one beginning with the older ones, and he was left alone and with the woman where she was in the center of the courtyard. And straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where are they? 
did no one condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, and from now on, do not sin any longer. Beautiful story. You've been to Christians for a while. You've probably heard sermons on this and some sermons about things in here that aren't even in there. So we're going to talk about this. First of all, what's happening? What's happening in this passage? Well, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he's surrounded by these staunch religious leaders, uh, Jewish uh, leaders there in Jerusalem. And what they were doing is they were testing Jesus with a command from the Old Testament Jewish law. That was the Jewish law that was established for their government as they, as they were, before they came into the promised land. And so what they did is they took that element of the Jewish law and they applied it to this woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. Now, what Jesus does in this, in this setting is he points out the fact that everybody present has sin, okay? And so they began dropping their stones and leaving the oldest first, the, the wisest first, and then the youngest drops their stones and they walk away. Now, it's important to not focus on what is not being said. I there's, there's, there's sometimes a mis- mystery and an intrigue where, where some people love to talk about the things the Bible doesn't say. And, and there's, I find very little value in that whatsoever. I'm saying, don't, don't do that. For example, like, like, well, where was the man? I'd like to know if they caught the woman, where was the man? It's not there because it's not important to the story. But I still want to know. Sorry, it's left out for a reason. Second, what was Jesus writing on the ground? Oh, I've heard entire sermons of what Jesus was writing. The Bible doesn't say. It doesn't say that's even an issue. It just says like he was just doing it, doodling on the ground. I don't care what he was writing on the ground because it doesn't matter. Okay, you see? So let's not focus on the things that aren't there. Uh, well, what was Jesus teaching? It says that Jesus was sitting there teaching the people. What was he really teaching? I think he was teaching. It doesn't matter what Jesus was teaching, okay? So things that are not important to the story are not important to the interpretation. So we just let that, left that alone. Now, so that's the question of what's happening. The second question is, what did it mean? What did it mean to the people, the original audience? What did it mean when it was happening there? What did it mean when, when John even wrote this in, into, his, into the gospel and the people of the first century were reading it? Well, I believe the original audience would have received this, that condemning other people is not the way to go. Even though they had a right to condemn based upon that law, they should relinquish that right to condemn someone and don't use the law as a weapon to kill people. Don't use the law as a weapon to, to, to harm people. And so what Jesus is, he turns it around on them because it's in the law also that their sins deserve the same death as that woman. Therefore, they should all be stoned. Get it? But see, God desires life and forgiveness. So the original hearers would have, would have got that. Like, okay, well, we know the Jewish law. Really, everybody has sinned. Everybody deserves to be stoned. Why are we picking on this one woman? See, God, and, but God desires life and God desires forgiveness. So that's what it would have meant to the original hearers. Okay, let's take us to the next step. Here's the third question. Is this fun? You can do this. You really can. What does it reveal about God and humans? What does it reveal about the Lord and about us? What does it reveal about our character, the character of God, the character of people? Well, first of all, we we can see very clearly, and you guys know this as well, but the Bible is now pointing it out, that people can sometimes be harsh, judgmental, and absolutely condemning. That's why we don't ever say, go to hell. Never, ever, ever say that, because what you are doing is you're condemning a person, and the way that you condemn a person, you will be condemned. The Bible says that, so ouch. Uh, Don't do that. Don't, Don't mess with that stuff. And, and, the, and it's also clear that people commit horrible sin. But at the same time, every one of us sin. So why in the world would we feel empowered to condemn someone else? Another thing that we see about the character of God in here as well is Jesus said, whoever's without sin to cast the first stone. Well, actually, there was someone there without sin. Who was it? 
It was Jesus, okay? So Jesus was there. He was the only sinless person. Jesus, the the Son of God, God in human flesh. And he could have thrown the first stone and had every right to, but he didn't. Why? It's because God desires to forgive, which then takes me to another scripture. God sent his Son not into this world to condemn the world, but so that everybody could be saved and go to heaven with him forever, right? Okay. So that's what's revealed. I get more excited about this as we keep going. What are the timeless principles that can be applied to our lives today? So we take it to this. Why in the world do we condemn and why would we ever condemn? We are actually called to emulate Jesus. That's why it's so important to forgive And then when you put this into the context of all the scriptures, and especially in the New Testament, we find that if we can't forgive people, our own sins aren't going to be forgiven. We absolutely must forgive people who have sinned against us, who have violated us, hurt us, harmed us, wounded us, and caused horrible things in our lives. We must forgive them. And at the same time, we need to receive Christ's forgiveness for our own junk for our own problems, for our own sin. And then just like Jesus told the woman at the end, what we need to do is we need to pick up our lives and we need to start walking again, start moving along and stop sinning. You get it. You see it there. So where do you see yourself in the story? Do you see yourself in the woman who was sinning? Or do you see yourself in the people who were wanting to condemn her to death? Now you have taken this and you've applied timeless principles to your own life. That can be done with any scripture that's in the Bible. I know some are more complex than others. Demands a little more study and research. The beauty of this is God, God not only wants you to be in his word, but God has a word for you here today that I can just take from this. And I could have just preached on this topic alone for this whole sermon. I would have loved that. I, I do challenge you to be in the Word. I do challenge you to, to do all that. But I'm going to move to something else. I'm going to move to what this, this passage just said because it is convicting. When the Spirit of God gets through a Scripture and begins to speak to us, it is convicting. What is God saying here? Some of you need to put down your stones. You need to stop using the Scriptures as a sword to chop people to pieces know a few scriptures and you're using it to harm stop the life of God flow through you and flow through the scriptures maybe you feel like the woman who's not worthy of anything I might keep in mind she was caught in the act of adultery that means she was a married woman her husband's not in the picture where was he he could have been off in another country doing work we don't know it's not important but we know he's not there And the man wasn't there, but that woman was, and she was about to lose her life. She was worthy of nothing. The people wanted to beat her down and destroy her and take her life. And she was cowering, literally cowering. But then Jesus, Jesus comes on the scene and says, it's going to be all right. You can be forgiven. Stand up go home, move forward with your life, and just stop, stop, stop the sin. For some of you, that's what God is saying to you right now. Stop it. Just stop it. The sin that you have been committing in your life, it has brought you too much pain. It has taken you to the edge of the cliff time and time again, and God is saying, stop. Stop. Go and sin no more. God wants to restore and revolutionize your life. The Spirit of God wants to revive. She was at the brink of death, but God came in and revived. And that's what God wants to do for every single one of you. And I don't know what kind of pain you're walking through. I don't know where you are in this story, but you're probably somewhere in this story. Most likely, you're in the position of the woman. And what is God saying to you today? Holy Spirit, I pray for revelation in the house today, and I pray for conviction. Lord, for those who are 
operating and functioning and sinful behavior. I pray for the conviction of God to come upon lives. Help us to see the reality that the truth is that sure, we may have people try to beat us down because of our iniquity, but the worst thing is is it could be hell. We don't want that. (laughs) So Lord, we need your help. We need your forgiveness, and we need your life. So first of all, if you're here today, and your, your life is lost in sin, and you're not serving God, you know it. And there's every reason in the world for God, to con- for God at the end of time to condemn you to an eternity in hell, which will happen to a lot of people, but not now, but will happen. Even if, if you can see that, would you be willing to just say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins? make me as if I've never sinned before. And if that's you this morning, you need to give your life to Jesus so your sin can be forgiven. I want you to lift your hand at the count of three because I want to pray for you. Ask God for a miracle in your life. Would you do that? One, two, three. Lift your hand up for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Put your hands down. Thank you. Those of you who lifted your hand, know this. God loves you. God is not wanting to condemn you. He's wanting you to give your life to him. Let your sin be forgiven so you can go and sin no more. If you lifted your hand, I want you to pray this prayer. Congregation, I want you to pray it as well as an encouragement to those who lifted their hand. And maybe you didn't lift your hand, but you know you need to pray this prayer. Still pray it out with me. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I know I'm a sinner, but I need your forgiveness and I need your life. Thank you for not condemning me but offering me life and life to the full. May your blood be applied to my sin for today I turn away from it and I choose to live the full life, life to the full. And I choose to not do that sin anymore. In Jesus' name. us to pray. Will you guys stand all across this room? I want us to pray. I want to pray for every one of you right now. God, I pray for everybody who's watching online as well as the people who are in this room. And I thank you, God, for revelation. I thank you, God, that the Spirit has brought, has, has, has revived these, these words that are in this, in this Bible and it's become real to us. And God, I pray, Lord, that, that as we have received this, that we're going to walk out of here as different people. We're going to walk out of here not only free from sin and we're not going to condemn other people and we're not going to bring other people down. God, we're going to recognize our own lives. We're going to recognize our own frailty, and we're going to be different people. But God, we're also going to be people of the Word. God, we're going to love your Word. We're going to read it. We're going to to do our best to understand it and apply it to our lives. God, so that your whisper of your Spirit will will resonate in our hearts and lives, and and we'll act on it. We'll take action, and we'll live differently. We'll live differently, and we'll inherit the promises that are in your Word, because we are in your Word. Let this congregation be blessed. Let every person who heard this word today be blessed. In the name of Jesus Christ, and everybody said, amen. Thank you for tuning in to the City Life Podcast. If you're interested in attending our Sunday service or would like more information, go to citylifefw.org.